Hello and welcome to AIPT Comics Podcast. We are on episode 86. This is the All Things Podcast. News, reviews, interviews, and more. My name is David Brooke, and I'm here with Forrest Hollingsworth. Forrest, how are you doing? Hello! I've been better, but you know, comics. We're here. We're back out. Yeah. They came out this week, which is better than we could say for some <laughs> weeks in recent history, so... That's true. That's true. Like the sun rising, comics tend to come out every week, although sometimes that sun doesn't... Back to come back. Get scared and... Yeah. <laughs> Back to come TM, TM, TM. In this 86th episode. 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 It's, that's right. It's all yeah. monkeys. <laughs> uh, Scott Snyder and Tony S. Daniel will be on the show later to talk about Nocturnal, their Kickstarter, and also Best Jacket Press, Scott Snyder's uh, new comic book label. And uh, yeah, so hang in for that. It's a pretty cool interview. We get into the nitty gritty with the issue as well, or the series as well as um, Scott's sort of new direction with a small comic book label that he's starting for the first time. Um, but it's not a brand new company either. So, oh my God, there's some information Ooh, about that too. Historical. Archaeology. <laughs> we also had... Put this on Wikipedia. <laughs> we also had interviews with Gorilla Grodd and the monkey that held a gun in that really famous issue of Hellboy, but the, uh, but the yes. audio was lost, unfortunately. It was, it was. But if you play this episode backwards, we are pretty certain <laughs> it will you can sound hear... exactly like that. Those <laughs> interviews. So in this show, we always start with the news, and the top of the news is, well, it's related to our interview later. Uh, Scott Snyder and Tony S. Daniel have launched a Kickstarter called Nocturnal Collectors Edition, and this is a project that is basically going to let you see uh, the script for the first issue early uh, art for the uh, the series, um, a behind-the-scenes look, if you will, about Nocturnal, which is going to end up as an Image Comics series sometime in winter. There's no official date yet. It's a 72-page book you can kickstart for the next mm, 20-something days mm. if yeah. you're listening to this. And um, yeah, so it kind of came out of the blue. It was a super-duper secret thing that people started to get a, a tidbit about um, on, I think it was Saturday, or maybe it was actually Friday, where um, Tony and Scott changed their Twitter profile images to a curious ring. And that is because in the series, uh, the sun has, does not come up anymore. It's always darkness, and there are little critters running around um, attacking us. And it's about a, a female protagonist who has a really cool uh, <laughs> truck with lots of lights on it, and lights can hurt the monsters, and she is a... Um, she's a... She, for money, she will cart you around the country and uh, with her protective truck. Yeah, I've read 30 Days of Night. <laughs> so uh, you could back this right now. There's actually some interesting tiers. There's like I was a, curious um, about that because I, I would think yeah. that once you're as famous or as popular in the comics industry, which is a very small industry, as much news as we have to talk about every week, I mean, Snyder's a very big name. And he has yeah. to expect that this Kickstarter is going to be successful, right? What they probably aren't as sure about is the, the the higher tiers and the further incentives. Because usually when you reach like a goal on Kickstarter, you release other rewards for breaking the next goal right. and the next goal, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I have to imagine that that's almost entirely what they're banking on or, or needing right. capital for. Because the book itself, I'm sure mm -hmm. that Snyder could easily collect the money needed to just re release the mm. book. Right, right, right. Well, in the interview, he talks a little bit about how all the profits will go towards 
future issues of this being funded, but also future issues of other indie books that he will be uh, producing under his uh, Best Jacket mm. label. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, he, he made it pretty clear that the dollars won't be going into their pockets. It'll be going to future work. Yeah, I mean, I think... So I guess that's why? That, I guess that answers your question. That's probably part of it, yeah. I, I do wonder if they're going to release, you know, like a, a, tab- a coffee table a book of all of the cover art or something like that because a lot of kickstarters of this kind of profile tend to have incentives yeah. like that yeah you're right i mean the book's probably going to sell like hotcakes when it comes right out too right i mean it is cool to see uh such a high profile creator and one that has been i mean he's been working for dc for however long um it is yeah, it is nice time. to see them committing to the creator own thing because i definitely do think the creative own thing is um, the future of the comics industry. Yeah. And more often we see pretty high profile creators like Michael Avon Oming uh, mm-hmm. doing Kickstarters uh, that have books that are already set up at like image comics or whatever um, to right. get them funded because I guess in part because the whole industry feels a bit volatile right now. Right. Yeah. And, th- and that's kind of what I meant. And also that, you know, a rising tide lifts all ships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. Um, it looks like all the pledges to for five or six hundred dollars here to get a masterclass with Scott Snyder are already bought up. This, right now, as of this recording, this uh, has gotten one hundred twenty-one thousand uh, dollars backed with, and it was a forty thousand dollar goal. That yeah, is quite so, high. Yeah, see, I have to imagine that they knew they were going to break that, and then it's all about what the next thing is. Right. right? Yeah. You know, I don't think it was as big as, let me look here, uh, the the comic Maddie, the um, the one that Alex DeCampi and Duncan Jones are putting together. Mm. That one mm. went even higher, I think, than, well, obviously there's more time to for this one to get a higher. Right, because Nocturnal's still going. Yeah. yeah, this one went up to $366,000. That's good. I have a That's feeling good. Nocturnal won't get that high, but time will tell. Next up in the news, Marvel Comics solicitations came out this week, and we all knew it because every single day, multiple times a day this week, Marvel kept releasing <laughs> tidbits of news and you know cover reveals and whatnot. Uh, one of which, which blew up, I think, on the internet a little bit. I don't know. Would you say it blew up? Was uh, Wolverine, Black, White, and Blood. Yeah. I mean, I saw a lot of news about this. I also saw a lot of conversation about, you know, oh, that makes sense because such and such said that they were working on an X project. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess this you would classify this new Wolverine series as an X project. It's kind of weird, though. I guess I wouldn't call it an, I, personally. I mean, I think you're right, but I wouldn't call it an X book. I think I wouldn't be mad at a creator saying that they were working on an X book if they meant this. Mm-hmm. Um, and for folks that don't know, this is <laughs> almost exactly the same thing as Harley Quinn, Black, White, and Red. <laughs> only it's Wolverine. And it's blood. <laughs> and, it's, and it's blood. It's kind of a weird thing. And I, I wish DC just came out. Or no, sorry, not DC. Marvel came out and said, yeah, we're just cribbing that idea. Well, the thing is, like, that could be possible. And then also, you know, Swamp Thing and Man Thing were created and released within a year of each other. And those groups hadn't talked to each other at all. Right. So um, it's very possible that Marvel heard that DC was releasing that Harley Quinn series, that they were doing digital only, which I don't think the Wolverine book is going to be digital only. No, I don't think so. Um, but, you know, that they were like, oh, that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. And they're just a little behind the ball because DC didn't issue, as far as it sounds like, as many pencil down orders 
as Marvel did during the advent of the pandemic. Right, right. Yeah, this is basically a series that of uh, one-shots within one issue. There's three stories in each issue, three different creative teams, giving tons of people work. Uh, when I say tons, mm-hmm. I mean, like, everybody. Like, Matthew Rosenberg, Vita Ayala, Chris Claremont, Saladin Ahmed, Donnie Cates, Ed Brisson, Greg Land, I could go on, Leonard Kirk, Chris Spatchelow. Like, <laughs> it's crazy how many names they've dropped but they've only announced the first issue, which comes out in November, of course, because they want to hype this once a month mm-hmm. for the next whoever, however long. Um, I'm I'm down for this, though. You know me. I like anthology oh, yeah. stories. Yeah. I mean, one of my picks this week is one of those Harley Quinn issues. I've really been enjoying it. I also think it's a really great uh, platform to tell a condensed story without having to tie it to Marvel or DC's massive continuity. Right. Yeah. You know? For sure. It's you just, just fun. Yeah. You could get that... Uh, you know, Cold War era Logan, or you get that Logan in Samurai Logan in, in Japan. Mm-hmm. You get all kinds you of flavors. Get, you could get that uh, Logan that has, what, like four kids? Two of which were introduced by Claremont in the last year. <laughs> For, is it four kids? That's right. There's yeah. Dakin. Obviously, there's Dakin, but there's a couple weird ones, right? Like have... I mean, Laura is oh. considered his daughter. Oh, that's right. And then yeah. Claremont did another daughter in the last year and another son? <laughs> I think. How does the guy go from no kids and he's like 500 years old to like 100 kids in the last uh, 10 years? Chris Claremont. Also in the news, Taskmaster and uh, the Widowmakers series have been resolicited for November. They were originally supposed to come out in April, right before the Black Widow movie. Does this mean we'll get a Black Widow movie in December? Probably not. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if they... I have no idea. They haven't announced it. I think that they're probably waiting to see how Mulan does on yeah. Disney Plus because yeah. I had heard originally that they had committed to releasing Black Widow on Disney Plus as well, mm-hmm. but I retract that statement. That's not true. Um, maybe they're waiting to see how Mulan does and they'll experiment with that. I know that New Mutants is coming out in the next couple of days, exactly a week from today, um, because the, it it has a contract that stipulates that it must have screen showings. Right. Um, as part of Mar- Disney's acquisition of Fox. But I would imagine that internally Marvel and Disney can just change those rules. Mm-hmm. So it's all about syncing up the supplementary material like these comics and action figures and that kind of stuff at this point. You know, like, New Mutants is going to make a pittance compared to Black Widow, right? Like, yeah, absolutely, yeah. They're going to want to make their half a billion dollars. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in ticket sales or in... I guess if people are paying twenty nine ninety nine through Disney Plus, mm, mm-hmm. that's good too. Yeah, probably the biggest reveal in the solicitations was the fact that Eternals number one is coming out in November, and that's by <laughs> uh, Kieran Gillen and Asad Ribic, and it has a bazillion variant covers. Yeah, to I was celebrate. just scrolling through the variant titles: Alex Roch, Alex Ross, Peach Mom- Momoko. Alan Davis, Art Adams, Mahmoud Asrar, Jen Bartel, Boss Logic, Russell Dodderman, Dave Johnson, De- Jeff Johnson, Mike Del Mundo, that's the one I'm going to want, mm-hmm. Jenny Friesen, Rian Gonzalez, Inhook Lee, J. Scott Campbell, another one wow. by J. Scott Campbell, John Romita Jr., um, Jack Kirby? Yeah, yeah, he came back and he did one. Uh, he came back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's uh, one of the hidden gem covers. Right. Uh, Joe Quesada, Kyrie Randolph, Assad Ribic, Humberto Ramos, another Assad Ribic cover, 
Walt Simonson, Ron Lim, Otto Schmidt, Superlog, Todd Nock, Greg Land, Takashi Okazaki, Dan Panison, Scotty Young, Lino Francis Yu, Frank Cho, Blank Cover, and Kirby Crackle variant. Whoa. Also available. Never Die, Never Win, Eternals. Yeah. I like that. Uh, I feel like we're back on the catch-up episode. <laughs> <laughs> it is something to commit to. That um, is... Okay, here's a question for you, Forrest. Yes. Are half of these just, like, exclusives if you buy 100 issues or... If, like, if an LCS buys mm-hmm, a mm-hmm. shipment. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, and some of them are also, I think, you know, this is a higher profile book than Eternals has been since Gaiman. Yeah. Probably. Um, but this is written by Kieran Gillen with art by Asad Ribic and covers by Asad Ribic, obviously. Um, I think I did a cover... Be excited to see if that comes out. But <laughs> I want to see I, it. You know, they're really committing to it. Eternals has not historically been a good comic. It's not a series that a lot of people care about. It's not even characters that a lot of people care about. And Eternal certainly has its fans, but they're really trying to make a case for this movie. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it makes me wonder when is Eternal supposed to come out? Was it ne- is it next spring? So everything was shifted because of Black Widow. Right. Um, into further into 2021 and into 2022 at this point. Right. Um, so I, I, I don't even know if we could say realistically when it's going to come out. What's wild, too, is like it's done. Like they finished it. Right. Right. <laughs> so it's just sitting in a vault somewhere. Yeah. Um, this is big news. I, I do think that this is probably the most I'll ever be into Eternals. I hope that Gillen doesn't make it reliant upon reading older Eternals. Mm, yeah, it goes deep. I, I don't want to do that. And it's it's it can be a long, tedious read to get through some of those. True. <laughs> um, and we, you and I both posited the theory that they got Kieran Gillen on Eternals. Marvel did, I mean. Yeah. Um, by offering him <laughs> the rights to <laughs> Warhammer 40,000. That's a good way to lure him in. Starting in October, continuing through November. Um, Gillen is a giant Warhammer 40,000 fan, if people don't know. I happen to know that because I am. Mm-hmm. Um, Kieran Gillen's writing that. Jason Burroughs is doing the art. Amazing variant covers by James Stokoe. Um, some others by Jason Burroughs. And that's five issues. Marnaeus Calgar, the chapter master of the Ultramarines. But similar to the Dawn of Exelon, Chox and Pox, and all of those series, we have heard that internally Kieran Gillen is going to be kind of an editor or... Um, quasi-editor at least, for the Warhammer 40,000 40, line the same way that Jonathan Hickman did for those X-Books. Right. This is right. going to get a lot bigger a lot quicker. Um, I don't... I'm, I'm excited for it. I don't know if Marnaeus is going to be the launching point for a lot of other 40K stories, but I definitely think that there are so many stories to be told there. Um, all of the existing comics are lackluster. So I'm pretty excited about that. And I would bet that Kieran is more excited about that than he is about Eternals. <laughs> Probably, yeah. It's like it's this, it's it's like a fan thing for him. Right. Yeah. Whereas do you think that's how they lured him in? Like, look, we Yeah, have... I, I do think yeah, I think that they backed up a truck of money that also yeah. said Warhammer forty thousand on it. Look, once in future's fine, but forty K, come on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I'm sure that that's what got him. Uh, a couple more things that were cool. Uh, Marvel Voices, Indigenous Voices, number one was announced. It's the second one-shot in a Marvel Voices series. They're actually reprinting the original Marvel Voices, which lifted up uh, 
uh, black people uh, in the industry uh, about black characters. And then this mm -hmm. indigenous uh, voices book has a, a treasure trove of creators, uh, Native American creators about Native American heroes. Um, and yeah, you should check out the solicitations too, because there's a ton of the uh, uh, variant covers across a, a bunch of the books, Spider-Man, Captain America, uh, all by uh, Jeffrey Varegi, who also did one of the main stories in Marvel Voices. Yeah, these are fantastic. Um, I really love the Spider-Man cover. The Iron Man yes. cover is also beautiful. I like them more than the actual covers, I would say. <laughs> you have a problem when that, when that happens. It doesn't happen often. <laughs> Uh, but they're neat. You know, they, he definitely could do an entire art series of these, or they could sell prints of these, and I think they'd be very successful. The Marvel Voices is actually based on a podcast that Marvel's been doing. Yeah. And um, I, if it's anything like the original, because I really like the original Marvel Voices, the first one shot, because it had, like, interviews in there, too. It wasn't just comics. It, it was a, a bit of a mix of other things, too. But, again, it's an anthology comic, and you can't go wrong with anthology comics, in my opinion. As we were just saying about Wolverine. Yeah. Yep. Black, White, and Blood. I don't like that title. It breaks my brain every time I say it. I'm like, Black, White, and... No, not Red. <laughs> <laughs> um, one other thing I wanted to talk about with the solicits was um, the True Believers reprinting of old comics. Um, yeah. Marvel, Marvel does that every month, usually to tie into a movie. They did that with Black Widow back in April. And but this time they're doing King in Black, True Believers, and mm. you know they're basically saying these comics. You read these old reprints of old comics to get up to speed for the King in Black event. And yeah, that makes sense. They did the same thing right before um, the Carnage event launched. Absolutely, right. Carnage. And if you look through them, there's a couple surprises. There's like a, a Doc Samson versus Hulk comic. There's a Black Knight comic. There's a Black Panther comic. Um, Valkyrie's involved. I mean, it gives you kind of a heads up on what, what, what characters might be used in the event. Uh, Beta Ray mm -hmm. Bill. Mm -hmm. A lot of Hulk, surprisingly, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they've kind of been sowing those seeds with... Well, also, Immortal Hulk is just so successful. Yeah. I don't know. And it's like the horror comic of the day. Yeah, true. Um, and also, uh, if you've read Planet of the Symbiotes, no surprise there, that's probably going to tie in. A good book. Yeah, that's that's a classic. Yeah. I am actually very happy with that retcon, too. Um, and I bet that they are banking on talking about the Clintar retcon. Right. Uh, was there anything else you want to talk about with the solicits? No, that's it. Um, there's a lot of books. We know a lot of these books are coming out. Um, I'm excited to see Marvel get back to full speed. Yeah, for sure. Um, something that was weird that Marvel announced without a date was the Aliens Omnibus. Uh, they basically were like, hey, we're putting this out, folks. The original uh, Aliens comics from the late 80s and early 90s in one big omnibus, mm -hmm. which you can probably already buy in Dark Horse format still on yes. the shelves. I, I specifically put this in the news because <laughs> Dark Horse did this less than a year ago. I reviewed some of them. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. That's funny. Um, so, you know, Marvel did the same thing with Conan, but I just wanted to say that they're obviously ramping up to that kind of story again, mm -hmm. um, to integrate Marvels into, or Marvels into the alien universe, Ooh. uh, aliens into the Marvel universe. This is the kind of thing that they did with the Conan reprints as well. Right. 
I I don't know. Is it just me? Is it kind of shitty that they're like doing this and they don't even have the license yet? To be yes. like, we're gonna have it. Na 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 na. I mean, I get. I it is pretty shitty on that front. I never thought about that. That's true. Like literally in two weeks, Dark Horse is still printing the uh, Alien re- uh, adaptation of the original screenplay. Uh, that's still coming out, and yet uh, <laughs> at the same time, Rob was like, "Hey, we own Aliens now." Yeah. It's interesting too because I don't know what diehard Alien fan wouldn't have bought those from Dark Horse. That's true. Yeah. I guess Marvel has a bigger marketing reach. I had the same feeling with the Star Wars uh, Legends reprints. Mm. I mean, they're literally mm. not changing a thing except for the logo on the front. Right. And it's like, okay, if anyone wanted this, they already bought it probably. But Yeah, I mean, yeah, and I would, rec- I would definitely recommend some of those Alien comics. They're very good. Mm. Um, uh, some of them get super weird. Ripley ends up having, like, a psychic fight with the alien queen that lives Ooh. inside Earth. Yeah. Um, but other ones are, are really, really good and grounded <laughs> stories. More in the news about publishers taking IP and selling it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to. DC will publish Alan Moore's original Twilight of the Superheroes outline. Forrest, you put this news in, the, in here. What is it about? I did. So, um, basically, Twilight of the Superheroes was a... Pitch, a spec outline written by Alan Moore a long time ago for DC. It's kind of similar to Watchmen in that Alan Moore wanted to introduce new characters, more basic and regular characters um, into the DC world. It was kind of a crossover event that he, he was basically saying, like, we'll be able to lift up these characters by including the Flash in one issue. Mm. Um, and that kind of stuff. It was very important to him that it didn't damage DC's continuity at the mm. time. Mm-hmm. So I, I've heard that a lot of people have been very impressed with the way that he did this. I don't think many people anymore even have ideas of Alan Moore's caliber. Yeah. Um, and it was quietly optioned for a movie a really long time ago, but I always thought that that was maybe just someone securing the rights to it. Mm-hmm. You know, like DC putting in a claim on Twilight of the Superheroes as a movie name. Right. Maybe right. with no intention of ever actually using this. They oh, will yeah. they will be publishing this um, soon, however. And, and this is a thing that you know, a script was never written for it. Covers were never drawn. Even interior art or samples were never drawn unless it is heretofore unheard of. Mm-hmm. So this is the only thing that exists for this kind of legendary Alan Moore project. Which I find very interesting. Um, you made a good point if you want to tackle that. Oh, it's just that DC doesn't know when to stop stepping on Alan Moore's neck because, yeah. you know, he creates these things and he publicly says, stop doing this. And they and DC just keeps doing it. <laughs> yeah. They just do not yeah. care about. And he's literally like, like let go of all of his ownership of these things because he's so annoyed by it. Right. It, you know, it's it's really interesting. I don't know why they would have decided to do this right now. Yeah. Aside from Watchmen's name is very marketable. Alan Moore's name is very marketable. But it isn't like what we were just saying with the True Believer things where it's like, hey, read all this stuff to get caught up on King in Black or read the alien omnibuses because we're about to bring aliens to Marvel Dude, or anything what? like that. Like, they're not going to... Yeah. publish twilight of the superheroes what and if you can't publish a sequel to twilight of the superheroes yeah, unless tom king knows something i don't know i'm gonna paint a picture for you yeah hit me shadows lights fire brimstone okay, not, maybe not, oh, put that brimstone away I'm sorry in. that's dangerous 
man walking down platform, can't see who it is. All of a sudden, you hear like people screaming, oh my God, the people are into it. Fire, fire, fire. It's The Rock. Wait, what? This oh. is, we're watching DC Fandom, of course, and it's the Shazam <laughs> panel. And he goes, I'm here to announce the Black Adam film will be called Twilight oh, of God. the Superheroes. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> honestly, Dude, yeah. if they did that, I would laugh so hard. Alan Moore would literally like break something in his house that second. He wouldn't even be watching it. He'd just be breaking things. <laughs> He'd feel the the like zap to his Man. brain. It would be yeah, funny he, if he, he would sense it. He sleeps he at the bottom of a swamp. <laughs> Onlook, onlookers would only see some bubbling on the surface. Oh my god, that's so funny. That Man. is true. Maybe. Could they be. would totally tap rock the Dwayne Johnson to do that too. There is going to be a Shazam panel or sorry, a Black Adam panel uh, where he's attending, so I'm sure we'll get some Black Adam news. That's really funny. Next up in the news, this is a small, teeny, tiny news. Fanagraphics Publishing has changed its logo and name to... Oh, sorry, Fanagraphics Books has changed its name to Fanagraphics. Moving on, next news. No. (laughs) Are you okay? Uh That was funny. Um, It is kind of a cool new logo. We don't talk about fanographics much in part because they don't put out a lot of books. They put out denser books that take, I think, a lot more of a studious and, and t- more closer attention. We actually could do like a segment on like fanographics. We should sometime. Yeah. I <clears throat> Excuse me. I really find their stuff enriching. Oh, for sure. It's it's just like next level sometimes too. Um, they put out great, great books. We just don't talk about it enough. In our next bit of news, Locking Key and Sandman Universe getting a crossover. So when I saw this news, I thought, well, DC Fandom's definitely not going to talk about comics because this would have been something easily talked about at DC Fandom. That's a good point. Like, this is kind of a huge deal in that you're taking a massive thing called Sandman Universe, which is soon to be a Netflix show, um, already an audio book. By Amazon. It's a very hot commodity right now, and you're slapping it with another thing that's a Netflix show, Lock and Key, um, which may, you know, depending on your opinion, may or may not be great or may or may not be that big of a news, but to slap them together, two different universes, two different publishers, it's kind of a yeah. big deal. I mean, it's weird. Like, there was news. I can't remember the timeline, unfortunately, if Jim Lee just said this or if it was published or something, but they they had been teasing some sort of integration of the Sandman universe into DC continuity for a long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so people have been expecting a Sandman event for a really long time, and this is definitely not the direction that I think most of those people would have guessed. No, uh, in metal, uh, metal number one, uh, at the very end of the issue, uh, Sandman's there with Batman. Right. And it's like, now he's going to be going through, or, sorry, the family from Lock and Key are going to go through the one of the doors of Luc- using Lucifer's key to go into this dream world or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know. The series is going to be written by uh, Joe Hill and the, the original Lock and Key creators, Joe Hill and um, Gabriel Rodriguez. Um, and I don't know how much Neil Gaiman's involved. We don't know a ton about this so far. I mean, not much of it is really credited to him at all. I keep hoping, yeah, because my prediction for this year was that Neil Gaiman was going to write a comic. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Keep yeah. hoping. This Neil, was perfect. Neil, this is perfect, Neil. Neil, Neil. <laughs> Just one, Neil. 
He's got to do something. When Nef- <sighs> When is Netflix going to put out Sandman, though? It's probably not going to be until next year. Neil, when is Netflix putting out Sandman? <laughs> He's probably writing some of the um, episodes. I wouldn't be surprised. I'm going to DM him on Twitter. Hold on a second. All right, cool. <laughs> Forrest's got a direct line. He's got a red phone on his desk. <laughs> this is the gaming line. I've never used it. <laughs> Next in the news, Boom Studios is extending their returnability uh, through the end of the year, December 30th. Uh, they, it was a program they set up due to the pandemic where you could, if you're a comic shop or retailer, you could return any book that didn't sell for all the money back, and they're sending it all the way through the year. This is great news in part because there are still people out there who think the pandemic is going away. And clearly, Boom is smart and knows it's not. And uh, it, it's just helping the LCSs out there who are hurting. Yeah. It's I mean, this is a, it's just pure good faith effort. Why isn't returnability 100% on every publisher? That just seems wrong to me. You know what I mean? Uh, capitalism. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. For- forgot. <laughs> <laughs> forgot about that one. Also in the news, sort of comics related, Jim Lee um, had some art displayed along with the new The Batman uh, logo. The official logo was revealed by Matt Reeves on Twitter ahead of their big panel at uh, DC Fandom. But uh, it's kind of cool to see Jim Lee do the new Batman costume that uh, Pattinson will be wearing. (laughs) You know what's funny? I was watching Batman Returns last night. Okay. And... There's a scene, he saves Selena Kyle, it's the very beginning, Batman does, and she goes, oh, you're the Batman, and then he goes, he doesn't say anything, of course, and then she goes, oh, I'm sorry, is it just Batman? And I thought, oh my god, is this where they got the title? Those are the thoughts of David Brooke. Moving oh, on. Wait, what, which <laughs> movie was that? Batman Returns, the first, uh, the first oh, sequel. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. yeah, yeah. With, uh, I mean, Michelle lots of Pfeiffer. people, lots of people call him the Batman, lots of villains yeah. do, right? Street level villains. But the way she says it, it's very much like the Batman, like that. Mm. And it mm. made me laugh because like the new movie's called The Batman. Like it's like he's so special. It's actually King Batwang. He says oh, is back. it? Yeah. Directed by uh, Brian Azzarello. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, also in the news, DC Fandom is going to have God, I hate saying fandom. Is going to have another convention September twelfth, just a few weeks away, called DC Fandom Explore the Multiverse. Um, no news about that, but maybe there'll be comic news in there. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they announced that they had to, or that they were splitting up some of the stuff that was going to be covered at Fandom on the 22nd mm-hmm. um, into a second event. Hopefully they're getting their ducks in a row so that they have a good front to present yes. in September. I, I totally understand that this Warner Bros. AT&T news has kind of swept the legs out from under them, and I wish everyone the best still. Yeah, I... If you look at the schedule, it doesn't need to be any comic things going on um, this weekend. Right. So I guess so they just shifted it. They're pivoting. You know who's not pivoting is Dark Horse, who's putting out a Resident Alien follow-up series called Resident Alien, Your Rides Here, ahead of the sci-fi series uh, for the Resident Alien ser- original series. Um, if you like Resident Evil... Uh, Resident Evil. If you like Resident <laughs> Evil... I do you like, like Resident like- Evil. <laughs> You might like Resident Alien. <laughs> I don't know. I've never read it. No, just kidding. Um, it's coming out in November. Again, it's a solicit thing because they got to tell everybody it's coming. And in the last bit of news, so sad, Gideon Falls, final issue, 80 pages long. That's not sad. That's kind of cool. 
That's pretty cool. Coming in December, but it will be the end. I, I'm not too surprised by this. The series has kind of felt like it's been going down a road that would get to the end very soon anyway. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it has felt like a series that has an end, or a story at least, that has an end to me the entire time. Yeah. And I would probably feel more cheated if it just kept going. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope Lemire, this, this Gideon Falls is so reverent to Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. I hope that they get really weird with this. <laughs> I hope it's just 80 pages of the third season of Twin Peaks with one page at the very end that makes it all make sense or doesn't. It's literally just reprinting the screen screenshots of the show. <laughs> you know what? I would be like, wow. <laughs> they pulled it off. They That's did it. A bold move. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Next up, our top books of the week. What are our top two favorite comics that are out this week? Forrest, what's your second favorite book of the week? My second favorite book of the week is Harley Quinn, Black, White, and Red. This is number nine of the digital series. This one was written and drawn by Joe Quinones. Um, I actually wasn't crazy about the story in this one. Um, mm-hmm. It's a very simple story of Harley annoying Poison Ivy, and then they end up going on kind of an Indiana Jones-esque adventure mm. to find each other. But um, the art is beautiful. It's really digging into that, like, neo, or not neo, noir mm-hmm. espionage type stuff that, like, Casablanca revels in, like, sharp black and white contrasts. Great outfits, um, amazing hairdos and coloring and that kind of stuff. I love that the, he's really goofing on Batman who always has like a set jaw and he's always angry and his mouth is open. That's kind of a stark visual contrast to the beautiful Harley and Poison Ivy. It's just a very beautiful, beautiful book, uh, issue, story, website. I don't know. Website? Website. Website? Website. Like an internet website? Yeah, I guess. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's a digital issue. So, oh, I see. I see. I yeah. See. I love the Indy, I love Indiana Jones. Uh, and I got the vibes at first. I was like, oh, this is Indiana Jones. But then when they did that, there's a scene where a character is going to fall into a pit. Yeah. And they're like, he's like, you can't get it. Pull. It was exactly from um, The Last Crusade, the third Indiana Jones film. Oh, you're right. Yeah. It totally was. Made me um, think I have to go back and reread it because there's probably tons of little things. There's like that. probably tons of references I didn't even notice. Yeah, yeah, it's very, very pretty. Uh, my second favorite book was Voyage to the Stars, number one by James Asmus and Connie Diadon. Um, I never, I knew, I didn't even know this was actually a podcast, uh, a famous one, uh, before it was a comic book. And I, I actually talked about this last week. It's my most anticipated book of the week, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd have to say a lot. Uh, it's a really good first issue. It's entertaining. It's funny. It's not too dirty. And it's, um, it's really good at making you like the characters. They're very likable. And immediately you're just kind of in it with them. Whereas sometimes, you know, these books, they're not very good at like laying out the characters and making you care at all. But I was immediately interested in these characters and their little voyage. And um, you immediately can gravitate to them because of their like kind of uh, very... Uh, open emotions they're they're it's a crew that they they're, they're they get along pretty well so they're okay with um being li- really loud and obnoxious with each other i could see it being a, a pretty good show too hmm. yeah i mean they are doing that star trek lower decks show oh yeah that's true so that, yeah, check that out those kind of vibes i haven't watched that show but i oh, okay that's i've seen clips i yeah i think so yeah it's 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 actually it looks better than the cartoon 
<laughs> the cartoon no offense. has a look. No yeah, offense. No, that's fine. It's kind of simple. Uh, yeah, I totally recommend Voyage to the Stars. Um, it's from IDW, and um, I'm excited for the rest of the series. What is your favorite comic of the week, Forrest? My favorite comic of the week comes with a disclaimer. Uh-oh. Which is that, hey, hey, what? sit down. Sit, sit, sit right next to me. Sometimes <laughs> the world is really hard. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. the world really beats you down, mm-hmm. and you don't have time for your hobbies, you don't have energy to care about your hobbies. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm that way right now. Things have been rough for the past couple of weeks in particular, and obviously the last couple of months in general. So I went for some comfort food comics this week, rather than not being able to talk in depth or research or read as closely as other comics this week that came out, as I would normally do weekly. Mm-hmm. My recommendation is that you take a look at Spawn number 1 from 1992, Written and drawn by Todd McFarlane. Mm. What needs to be said about Spawn? <laughs> I don't know. Is it um, a long comic book? You know, I was pretty impressed. <laughs> nope, it's one and done, fortunately. <laughs> um, I was pretty impressed with how much this issue holds up. Mm. Like, it's very, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. McFarlane obviously worked very hard on the layouts, um, and they're layouts that rival comics today. Um, the kind of the, the the splash pages that go back to the news reporting on the death of Al as he rips off his mask mm. to discover that he's kind of this inhuman beast, and and back and forth and stuff like that. The perfect beats of setting up the the street level police officers, these superhuman deaths. All that Spawn really remembers is making a deal in hell for a woman, but he doesn't even know who that woman is. Hmm. You know, um, there's all this mystery. And then throughout the book, as you turn pages, there's that nine, 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 nine counting down. Um, but they never directly addressed that. Hmm. Um, and I thought, I found that that was very interesting. It's got this built in hook that by the end of the issue, it's nine, 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 five. And you're, and you're wondering, like, okay, so what's, what's going on? Who is this person? Um, it's just, it's really, really, it puts a lot of faith in the reader. Mm. A lot more so than comics today do, and a lot more so than I remembered. <laughs> yeah. Like, for some reason, I really remembered Spawn being like, I'm Spawn, and then I died, and then I was Spawn again. But it's, <laughs> it's really not like that. Yeah. Um, and it's beautiful. It is nice. a it is a beautiful, perfectly paced comic book. Yeah, it, I don't I think Spawn, and Spawn doesn't stay that way. You know, I've no, read up to no, Spawn yeah, no, yeah. number seventy five or Spawn one hundred or something like that, um, and it doesn't stay that way. But this initial arc and it goes. I think I was eight eight years old when that came out. I was negative one. You were negative one. Yeah. Are you a time traveler? That's correct. I don't know if listeners know, but Force is actually 65 <laughs> years old. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't remember it very well. I just remember like the green ooze looking really cool. Mm, mm-hmm. I definitely yeah. haven't returned to that in a long time. Uh, one thing I was really struck by is the, the cliffhanger. It actually reminded me a lot of Donny Cates uh-huh. retroactively, and you can see where Cates cribs a lot of his stuff from. And I'm not saying I don't like Donny Cates, because I do. But um, throughout the issue, they show snippets of spawn talking to violator in hell yeah um and then at the very last page is enter violator 
Mm. And it's just this demonic face in the flames uh, after they've been alluding to him the entire issue. And I thought that that was just a banger of a cliffhanger. Nice. Um, yeah, a good comic. I like Todd McFarlane. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's a classic. Have you have you read the the Spider Man stories? Todd McFarlane's and yeah, 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 yeah. I, I love yeah, his Venom books. and stuff. Yeah. yeah, I thought Eric Larson was really good with Spider Man too. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, so iconic. I wonder though how much nostalgia is like affecting my brain. You know what I mean? I mean, I think that definitely some of that is there because yeah. I was really surprised by how dark and violent. <laughs> some yeah. of the spider-man stories were um mm-hmm. in a way that they've definitely pivoted away from like i i, I if i pull pick up an old mark bagley amazing spider-man like there are pages that like i'll open to and i'll just remember like when i was like 10 reading it you know right and like in hindsight it's like not the greatest thing but at the time it was the greatest thing <laughs> right <laughs> yeah i was surprised by i guess how much i felt that about spawn this week like yeah. i was like wow this makes me feel like the first time i read spawn this is cool. I need to go pick that up. I haven't read those um, in forever. Yeah, you should check it out. The first issue of Spawn, actually the first issue of every Image comic, is free on their website. Oh my god. Well, that's easy. Yeah. Cha-ching. Uh, Eat that capitalism. And you know, it's a, it's a fun... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's a, it's a not like boom. Um, <laughs> it's a fun, mindless thing to kind of turn to when you need comfort food comics, which I do. Speaking of fun, mindless things... My favorite comic was Dark Knight's Death Metal Guidebook, number one. <laughs> no, actually, um, this book is an anthology book. Oh, my God. Is that the theme of this goddamn show? Um, this is an anthology book where basically uh, James Tinian, Josh Williamson, and Scott Snyder wrote the opening story, which actually matters quite a bit to the main Dark Knight's event. And then uh, they let loose Vida Ayala, Becky Cloonan, and Christopher Priest, and Chip Zdarsky, who wrote the rest of the stories in this book. Um, obviously, there are artists attached to all of that. Becky Clinton drew her own story, but there's also Jamie Mendoza, Dan Panoison, Carrie Randolph, and Edward, Eduardo Riso, which is epic, that story. Um, so, yeah, this is a really good book in that I didn't expect it to be good at all. <laughs> and I think the big part of that is that it's called a guidebook. Mm, and Sure. Usually that's like a very like, oh, it's a guidebook. So here's all these stories. But what's amazing to me is the opening story, which I already said is written by Williamson and Tinian and Snyder. It actually tells you how the Batman Who Laughs took over Earth. And it ties directly to Snyder's Justice League ending where the characters run into a door and that's it. And there's like, it's just like super anticlimactic. So we find out... This is what happened after they ran into the door and all the Justice League characters aren't on Earth to protect it. So we get to see all these crazy evil Batman taking over Earth and fighting the rest of the heroes and defeating them. And then uh, in between each of these stories is a single page graphically designed really well. It's got like chains on it. It looks kind of realistic. And it's also a sketchbook. It's got information on location, character names, um, and, and character details about the characters that are about to appear in the next story. And Chip Zdarsky gets to take on uh, Harley Quinn, and we find out she, it's sort of like a Mad Max kind of thing where she's in this desert. She doesn't have a car. She has a giant hyena. And she As works one f- does. <laughs> she works for a, uh, a version of Batman that is Arkham. 
Um, so he super wants to like torture animals and stuff and like do terrible things. But anyway, uh, in between, and then, so in between each story is these really cool guidebook, actual guidebook, um, pages also printed here is the map of the entire world, which was revealed a couple weeks ago and you could download it. It's in a high def version, uh, by Jared Blado, which is a really cool, almost, uh, the quality of you, you would get out of like the Lord of Rings when you get the map inside mm, of, sure. Of, of Earth. And in this issue, actually, we find out why does the Earth look like a bat symbol? And all the continents, the, all the continents put together look like a bat symbol. symbol. And you actually have the, an answer to that in this book. So there's a lot of insane ideas in this event. And this book kind of explains some of those things, which I thought would never happen. I just assumed that they were like, hey, whatever, let's just do crazy stuff. But there are actually uh, reasons to these things. And, you know, the creators involved in this book are insane. And Chip Zdarsky, I don't think he's done a lot of DC work, so it's cool to see him doing that. Um, Vita Ayala does a good story with Dan Panoisen. Um, They're involving... great. I love Vita's stuff. Yeah. And Panoisen's great, too. I love his, like, boxing stories and stuff. So it was an interesting combo, those, those two. And it's a story about Poison Ivy um, trying to escape the prison that uh, Wonder Woman, in the beginning of this event manages this prison where all the supervillains are kept. And there's an interesting connection between these two female characters. Um, I think there's like a connect, like a feminist kind of connection between them, if that, if that makes sense. There is also an incredibly <laughs> obvious Mad Max Fury Road uh, reference in that story as well. Um, and there's other stories too. Um, so just a lot to enjoy in this. And I couldn't believe how well it was all put together with the guidebooks in between. I was really surprised how much time and energy and effort went into making that work. Because so, so often these guidebooks, I'm using air quotes right now, are just like slapped together to make a couple bucks on top of the event. Yeah, they're poorly designed Wikipedia pages. Right, yeah. yeah. So I was really impressed with the overall package of it. So I just, I had to give the props and say it was my favorite comic of the week. You know what else, you know what other comic has a lot of chains in it? What's that? Spawn number <laughs> one from 1992, written and drawn by Todd McFarlane. Would it be funny if then you just did your pick and then I did my pick and we were stuck in a time loop <laughs> where you were like, and that's in Violator is cool. And then I go, Violator is just like a Dark Knight's death metal idea. <laughs> hey, that's the conversation uh, comics have been having for 20 years at this point. <laughs> that's funny. Did you like the Spawn movie? Uh, the anime? No. No. Uh, the, the live action one, yeah. I like the HBO ones. Oh, yeah, the cartoons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. In our next segment, Top Books for next week, we pick our number one most anticipated comic out next week. My favorite, or soon-to-be favorite probably, uh, comic out next week is Sleeping Beauties number three by Rio Yours and Allison Sampson. I, I liked the first issue. <clears throat> I loved the second issue, so I'll probably really love the third issue. This book is really coming together. It's a longer series um, based on a Stephen King and Owen King novel, and it is in incredibly poignant. It's about uh, women in America catching a uh, virus um, and it's creating an uproar in America and everyone's like taken to the streets and literally going to the White House um, picketing and stuff and um, Allison Sampson actually uh, messaged me on Netflix, uh, Netflix on Twitter on Netflix yeah on Netflix and uh, yeah we, we did a, we watched a movie together I uh, know um, she messaged me on Twitter and she was like uh, one of those images I drew of the White House I actually saw on TV but I drew this book like eight months ago and it's really tripping me up. And I'm just like, wow, that's, that's wild. So the book is not only, I mean, it's, it's hard to read, I'm sure, if considering the world 
the way the world is going, but it's also a trip to read because it's like, this was made so long ago. The book was written years ago and it's all coming true. <laughs> the madness people have during a, a pandemic. It's also a science fiction supernatural story too, so it's not completely realism. It's got a hook. Uh, yes, yes. And there's a, actually, the last issue had a really interesting section on gender and our perceptions of gender because as I said before, the virus only attacks women, but it doesn't just attack you know, people that were born women. It also attacks trans women. And there's a, a really fascinating um, couple pages that goes into that and what it means and what could it mean about this virus and stuff like that. So um, it feels progressive too. Um, not sure if that was in the original book at all. Maybe it was. I didn't read the book. So what was, what's your most anticipated book next week? Uh, my favorite, my favorite, my most anticipated book next week is Mega Man Fully Charged number one. This is written by A.J. Marciello with, and Marcus Reinhardt with art by Stefano Simone. Um, this is a boom relaunch of Mega Man comics. So mm. I think that folks will be able to get on board, or at least it sounds like from the solicit that folks will be able to get on board without knowing much at all. Um, it's a new beginning for the worldwide culture phenomenon featuring heroes like Mega Man, Rush, and Dr. Light trying to save Silicon City from the villainous forces of the Robot Masters, set in the world <laughs> of the Mega Man Fully Charged TV show. Ooh. So it may tie into the TV show, but I'm also assuming that they can get people on board without having watched the Mega Man TV show, which I definitely have not. No, I didn't even know it existed until the solicit <laughs> came out for this. Yeah, I, I mean, there's a, a ongoing Sonic TV show that the comics tie in to, too. Yeah. Um, but hey, I like Mega Man. Yeah, and the it art like fun. sick. Yeah, the cover is amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah. What's your favorite cover art of the week? Hey, my favorite <laughs> cover art of the week is Mega Man Fully Charged, number one. <laughs> yeah. um, this cover art is by Tony Infante. Um, it's got a great momentum to it. It's Mega Man charging down a city block or down some circuits. Uh, all the energy from his arm cannon is streaming backwards around him. Very fast-paced, very beautiful. Um, there's some slight circuitry around his eyes. The lighting's got some lens flare effects, and it's just a very fast-paced, dynamic, interesting cover. Um, it, it caught my eye immediately. Yeah. I love the energy. Mm -hmm. Give me energy comic creators <laughs> i need to pick up my red phone and tell everyone uh, my favorite cover art of the week is from fantastic four antithesis uh that's a book by mark wade and neil adams but it's not the a cover is not by neil adams no it's by a man named ryan stegman you may have heard uh, of him <laughs> yeah you may have heard of him famous venom artist also on the show a month or two ago um i love when the fantastic four are depicted in a weird way, especially Mr. Fantastic. And he has made Mr. Fantastic so strange looking in his ability to stretch. His knee is bending impossibly. His, his fingers are huge. They're as big as uh, Sue Storm's torso even. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of, again, there's a lot of good energy here where they're rushing from the left to the right of this, of the page here, all ready to strike. Even invisible woman who's not even invisible at all in this image, which is, a shock because she usually is to show off her powers. She's just like charging berserker style. Ah! And then meanwhile, Thing is like pulling his punch in like he's going to hit a home run or something. <laughs> it all amounts to uh, just a really crazy energy uh, cover that makes me want to read the book. I actually got to read the book early and the book also has crazy energy. Hmm. Spoilers. <laughs> you know why uh, Ryan Stegman got so good at drawing Mr. Fantastic? Was that the maker, baby? Oh, yeah, that's right. He's in Venom. Yeah, 
In our next segment, it's our interview segment with Scott Snyder and Tony S. Daniel to talk about Nocturnal and the Kickstarter and the Best Jacket Press label that Scott Snyder is starting with this series. Hang in. Talk to you next week. Wear a mask. <laughs> Wear your mask. Black Lives Matter. On with me is Scott Snyder and Tony S. Daniel. Thanks for taking the time, guys. This is uh, going to be a lot of fun. We're going to be talking about your new project, Nocturnal Collector, the, the Nocturnal Collector's Edition. That's a Kickstarter, already fully funded. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, we just found out while we were talking to you. So good luck already. <laughs> so um, we ran the news uh, on Monday morning on AIPTcomics.com. Um, and one snippet that caught my eye was the story takes place 10 years after the world is plunged into an everlasting night. Um, is this set in a reality like ours? Is it set in a far future? Can you talk a little bit about that? I know it's spoiler territory. Yeah, I'll, I can start by, I mean, so the premise of the book is essentially uh, like, what if tomorrow morning uh, the sun just doesn't rise or the sun is still there, but for some reason solar light stops reaching the earth. Um, and the darkness that we're plunged into winds up being much more sinister than we think, where uh, anything that stays in it, any, any living creature that stays in it um, longer than just a couple days begins to uh, transform into something called a shade, a monstrous and predatory version of itself. Um, so it takes place about 10 years after this happens, the main story. Um, and it's a world where survivors are just kind of desperate to try and find some safety from this darkness. So most cities have fallen. The last places around are these towns and outposts that are lit by all this artificial lighting. Everybody tries to create custom suits with like everything from candles and light bulbs to high-tech LED uh, protection to, to keep themselves um, illuminated in this kind of ever-growing darkness. Uh, and our main character, Valentina Val Riggs, is a ferryman in this world. She grew up with very bad vision. She had really bad cataracts and didn't have corrective surgery until she was about eight or nine, at which point uh, she wound up with uh, fine vision, but now that the world's been plunged into darkness, she is using all of these skills that she had as a kid um, to be one of the best ferrymen out there. And what a ferryman does is kind of carry people from town to town in different vehicles, and she drives this awesome 18-wheeler. It's armed with all these <clears throat> like weaponized kinds of lighting, and uh, she, uh, her guide is her adoptive brother, uh, M. Emmett, who, uh, you know, talks to her on the CB and builds all of her gear. So it's one of those stories that's like big hearted and, you know, big mythology, all the stuff that I love to do with American Vampire and series like that. But it's also high octane, nonstop, full throttle. That's why I felt like from go, Tony would be the best person for it. I mean, his art is so wonderfully dynamic and muscular and big and yet at the same time his design work his emotional work is just killer so i couldn't ask for a better co-creator on this thing and uh, he really is truly a partner and <clears throat> he makes me not only look good but his ideas and his his ideas and the things that he brings to the storytelling and the and the um the uh psychology of the characters the personality their backstories is just immeasurable so i'm really lucky to have him as my uh, teammate in this dark dark world yeah i could imagine with the the whole aspect with the light you can really play around with the visuals yeah so um yeah just just you know going off of like what what scott said is that uh you know working like this this is the ideal way that comics should be created you know with a real sense of uh, collaboration where 
Um, you know, the artist isn't just doing a paint by numbers type of a job where they're just kind of like, you know, following instructions and, 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 you know, uh, being very mechanical about everything. You know, this is, this is a very collaborative process where, um, I get to explore some things, bring it to the table and, you know, uh, kind of enhance, uh, whatever Scott's trying to tell. That's my job is to make this story come to life by whatever means necessary. You know, and sometimes I have to add some panels. Yeah. Sometimes I think something might look cooler this way or that way, or, you know, what if we do it? What if we, you know, go this direction or, or something visually or, or whatnot. And Scott's been great with just communicating and, you know, I can just text them. Hey, what do you think of this instead of that? Or what if you make this character look like this instead of that or whatever. And it's, it's always been, uh, you know, a, a very, you know, open kind of conversation where basically he hasn't said no yet <laughs> to any of my suggestions. So I love that. I love that. Um, idea. So he makes me look better than I would otherwise. So I'd never say no. Right. I mean, so that's my area of expertise is bringing in. I, I also am a storyteller, but I, I, you know, for, you know, for what yeah. we're doing here, I'm, I'm visualizing all of, all of this stuff and, and kind of helping, you know, kind of guide this, this, you know, fantastic story um, so that we can all just like hopefully fall in love with some of these characters and also like, you know, hate some of these characters, you know, where we have all those emotions, you know, and all that stuff is carried out through, through uh, uh, Scott's story, but also through the art, the visualization as, as well. So, you know, and doing all these great lighting effects and everything, you know, I'm doing it all in black and white, of course, but we have, uh, you know, when everything's funded and we're ready, to, everything is funded. But when we go to publish the image later on, uh, we have colorist Tomeo Mori, who's probably the best in the industry. I think he's the best in the industry. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, the, he does so many books, too. Yeah. And the three, the three of us are like the three headed monster, I think, where the three of us together, we're <laughs> just going to like tear, tear it up. We're just we're so excited to like work. With, with each other and what we all bring to the table and Tomeo's coloring is going to like really bring my black and white to life. So he, you know, and, and we kind of give each other space where I kind of let him do his thing. I don't, I don't, you know, uh, micromanage him. You know, Scott doesn't micromanage me. You know, we all kind of have a certain amount of uh, comfort with each other and trust, which is really, really important. Um, when you're collaborating, uh, you know, in comics like this, you know, you have to be able to let go and trust the other person and luckily, you know, we all like really uh, jive really well together. And so like, we're, we're so excited. This is our first time working together, by the way, uh, Scott and I. Oh my God, that's crazy. I, did, I didn't even know this that. This is the first time, even though we put out a death metal, you know, a, a short story in death metal, uh, Legends of the Dark Knight recently. This is our first like real collaboration together. Uh, and we started this earlier in the year as well. So this started before that. Um, so this is our first collaboration together. And uh, we always wanted to work together. We, we knew, I just, I think we both knew that, that it would make sense uh, aesthetically and, and, you know, in, in, in terms of, uh, you know, synchronicity and, and uh, chemistry um, that um, it, it was a, a no-brainer. It was a matter of when and what can we do together. And there's no better pro project than this one right here right now. Um, I wanted to ask, like, the Kickstarter is a, is a how-to, which I love. I always love when you get that back matter of, like, the script or whatever. Was it always in the cards to do this Kickstarter for this project? No. Um, you know, initially when we started talking, we, we, we threw around different ideas of how to, how to do it because um, 
Tony and I have been talking about doing this project for the better part of a year. Um, and then as we were kind of in the beginning stages of it, COVID hit and, you know, indie publishers kind of shut down a bunch of them stores shut down. And so we started thinking about, could we create a different model that essentially would make sure that we had the, had the money to make the enough issues uh, ourselves that a, we'd be protected from uncertainty and disruption in the marketplace, but B, we'd also be able to avoid having to lean on publishers, whatever publisher we went with, we wound up going with image, but that we could avoid leaning on them for a page rate or for anything else so that they could focus on books that might need it more because we're pretty established creators. Um, mm -hmm. Could we do that? Is there, was there a model? And so we kind of came up with this idea that we thought, well, look, what do fans want right now? What can we give them? Uh, it's a real world where everything is kind of keeping us all apart. Well, why don't we create an addition that essentially invites them in to be part of the team, part of the process, part of the collaborative. Yeah. So it was like, let's do an addition that's, that doesn't compete with the retailer. Version. When it finally comes out in, in early 2021, February, it'll be like, you know, this version would be black and white, unlettered. So it's just the script and the art. And you can see how they kind of work together. I'll put notes at the end of the book that shows where changes were made, like an annotated thing. So you can see where Tony came up with better ideas than me. Um, and then also, <laughs> also, you can get it signed, which is something we can't do a lot of nowadays. And every tier in the campaign would be something that's about connection with fans. It would be like, well, you can take a class from me. Well, you can get a sketch from Tony. You can watch him design the characters live. You can you know, uh, get something personalized, like all of that. And there wasn't a lot of bells and whistles. There weren't like toys and all kinds of crazy stuff. It was, it was meant to be something that would be, you know, direct and simple and about this idea of taking a leap of faith together. So we're excited about it as a business model, because ultimately what it allows us to do is safeguard the series against any kind of interruption and give to fans and be able to connect with fans in a way that we can't in today's environment. So that was the thinking and the fact that it's already gone over so well it's just exciting because, you know, we're both at a stage in our career right now where we felt like we want, you know, I love my license work. Tony loves it, too. You know, I don't have plans of like disappearing from from that stuff. But this year, you know, at this age and this stage of my career and Tony, too, we want to make a bigger investment and a bigger commitment to doing stuff that's our stuff, that's create our own stuff. And this model, we felt for this kind of a project that we want to be an ongoing and an honest, you know, series that, that we do for a long time, felt like a, an interesting challenge. So it was exciting. Everything, everything about this moment for us is about trying new things, you know. And so this method was something we came up with, and we're like, if it works, hopefully it makes everybody happy. It gives us the money we need to to make the book, and it gives fans something they can't get otherwise. And at the end of the day, too, I know it's it's sort of secondary, but you know because the campaign's under under my uh, Kickstarter account and that stuff, I wanted fans to know that, you know, whatever we make past securing the first five to six issues of the book's um, funding so that we can pay the art team, we can pay, uh, you know, Tomeo, we can pay Tony, we can pay the letterer, we can pay the editor, all that stuff. Um, I'm Instead of taking profit, I'll, I'll push the, you know, the money forward to whatever next project I do under this label, I'm starting Best Jacket. So it's not, none of us are, the point I'm trying to make is that None of us are trying to make some gold fortune off of fans with this. The goal is to create a sustainable system so that this book is funded and can continue no matter what because we love the book. And that any extras we make will just go towards either this book for Tony going forward, uh, you know, um, or for me towards other indie projects where I can fund artists 
and secure payment so that they're not if things aren't as uncertain. More and more, we keep seeing creators go to Kickstarter to to get their projects off the ground. Michael Oming just put out a Kickstarter for After Realm Quarterly, which didn't need a Kickstarter for or didn't have a Kickstarter for the first two issues, and now has one for number three, just to get it off the ground. So like, it seems like it's an avenue a lot of creators are taking for all the reasons you just uh, you just told us. I have to ask though, being a slightly insecure person myself, if I ever knew my scripts and. Um, unfinished art might be in a book. Do you, <laughs> is there any desire to go back and go, I need to make sure there's no typos. Maybe I clean up this, this text a little bit, anything like that? Uh, well, for me, I'll, I mean, I can speak really quick to it, which is that the, the, I don't show my scripts because generally, because I write differently for every artist. You know what I learned from Greg, mm -hmm. which was the most valuable lesson from Greg Capullo was when we did Batman, I came in there doing like, I do full script for everybody, no matter what. And he really changed my thinking on that and made me realize with issue five of Batman, where it turned, I finally kind of gave him some room that the, if you, if you talk to your artists and say, how do you like to work that you can um, get more out of them in terms of, you know, better, better storytelling, all of it, if you adapt your style. So my, my scripts are wildly different artist to artist. But with this part of the idea was to be like, Let's just let them in and show them how we work because we had such a good relationship going in and Tony and I have had such a good time working on it. And I have such a tremendous respect and admiration for him. And he's been such an inspiration to work with that I felt like it was a fun thing to invite fans to see. So the script here is written very much just for Tony and the notes that I make that you can see where things change uh, as you read the edition and I'll put notes at the end about how he came up with this or you know how we changed it when we both thought of this uh it just felt like something fun to invite people in to see you know uh from go so that 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 was the idea here was like you come in and be part of the team part of the part of the collaborative process yeah it's um it's something people normally don't get a chance to see because i don't show people right. um i don't show people scripts you know that i work off of um right and uh you know, depending on, on what's needed, I mean, I stick really close to it or, you know, or I might, you know, stray a little bit to, you know, really take advantage of some, some things I think could really, really work. Or, you know, I, I got a really great idea yesterday and I was out on a bike ride of, of some background elements that I want to add for the next scene. Um, you know, so th these are things I, I kind of surprised Scott with. Um, you know, I, we, I did this giant double page spread. I don't I think Scott was expecting the amount of detail I, I put in there, but I just I, I, I knew like, I couldn't I couldn't wait for you to see that spread uh, where she goes into the city for the first time. Um, you know, in the corner I have like dogs fighting. I have homeless guys kind of like you know hanging around. You know, little details that are not in the actual script, but I I just kind of went ahead and and just I was in the zone and created this world. Scott and I have talked enough about this world that I kind of I already know what it looks like. I already know what's going to be there. So instead of just relying only on what's on the page, I get to kind of look deeper and further and uh, really, you know, make a world out of this uh, visually, you know, little little things that might not be written in there, but will just really give us a sense of, of, of where they're at. And I can't wait to do the next scene because I, I got a really cool idea. But again, I'll, I'll surprise you with it. Uh, you know, I can't wait. I mean, that's, when, that's the, when we get there. it's the fun of working with Tony is that like, so like to give you a like the next scene, the one he's talking about, I know is like the main character enters the office where all the ferrymen work, like all the different um, people like her and they all have different call signs. And and I, I gave him very little direction because I know what he's going to come back with is better than what I can come up with. So the fun is just being like, 
what amazing thing is going to show up in my inbox in like days and being, <laughs> and I mean it like, I mean, we, we've been friends a long time cause we worked in the same circles, you know, um, in Batman and then we traded Batman and detective and we were both in Mike Mart's office and all that stuff. And I've been a fan of Tony's forever. We did a little bit, you know, I was sort of involved in Batman eternal and that stuff, but he, you know, getting to actually collaborate together and work is always like a strange kind of like you're going into it and you're arranged marriage and you see how you do like or whatever. <laughs> and then it turns out with us, like it, it's been such a blast that part of the fun of creating the campaign was like, let's invite people in to see that. And it's almost embarrassing because I feel like he takes my scripts and elevates them and makes them so much better than they are that I think if anything, people will walk away being like, Tony came up with all this amazing stuff off this, like <laughs> off this script. So well, this be, is the way it should be done, though. This is the way artists, should, in my opinion, should be bringing yeah. uh, more to the table than just saying panel one, Batman walks into the room and punches Joker in the face. I mean, there's there you could do so much more with that, you know, scene than just that. You know, how does he do it? You know, is there what's in the background or, you know, I mean, just there, that's a poor example. But there's so much more visually that we're that we're responsible for. And that's our job. You know, so we, we should deliver more than than. Uh, a couple sentences, you know, that describe something, you know, we, we could, um, you know, our, our job is to bring it to life, you know? So, yeah, um, exactly. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I remember, uh, Tony, when we, I, I interviewed you briefly, uh, at San Diego Comic-Con 2017, we talked about damage. And I think that whole project was about giving artists more control over the story, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, and when it comes to nocturnal, I ask a lot of a lot of artists this kind of question because it's like so intriguing to me. Monster design. Did you get to go completely ham on the shades, or how did you approach creating the monster well, actually, design Scott, this book? Scott had an idea in his head, and I said, "This is what collaboration is about." Like Scott kind of had this idea where they're kind of bony and they have bones poking out of them, and like I didn't come up with. I might have went another direction, you know, had I not heard that from Scott. Mm -hmm. You know, but Scott. Uh, had had these ideas for what he was thinking, and so I then take those ideas and I go, well, you know, let me let me sketch out kind of what I'm thinking, and it's an evolving process. Like the first few monsters I drew, luckily they're kind of like small monsters; they're not like the big ones. Um, yeah, and 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 you can see those on the Kickstarter page. Yeah, they, those are like, like uh, shaded like bats or pigeons or you know owls or <laughs> whatever. Um, that got transformed, but you know, there I have room to kind of like really evolve with with these different animals and then humanoid versions of them. Um, you know, but uh, you know, it started really with Scott's idea with the bones poking through and whatnot. And I'm just kind of trying to do it in a way where it's scary. It would scare me if I saw something like this coming out of the dark. We see bits and pieces of it. I think that's kind of cool. Um, yeah. You know, I think it's cool when you don't have a full reveal. I mean, I mean, we show a couple monsters full on early, but uh, you know, some of these bigger, nastier ones, maybe we don't see the whole thing. Maybe we see. Oh yeah, we don't. We don't see what that's happens. Cool. To, we don't see what happens to a person for a couple issues. You see, these are all like that's like if you you scared of what's an issue one. That's like a bird and deer. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> oh, cool. That's neat. Yeah. Yeah. Is is the behind the scenes going into the uh, color by Tomei Mori or the lettering by Darren Bennett at all? Uh, no, well, no. The, well, the addition that we're doing on Kickstarter, we wanted to just start in script. Yeah. So, no, but I mean, mm -hmm. those are people that are integral to the, the the DNA of the series. Like Tomeo is, like Tony said, one of the best in the business, and he's been doing. I mean, he's on the top book in, in right now on Batman and all that kind of stuff. 
Um, so to yeah. be able to have him come over and color this and be so enthusiastically part of the team um, for the whole first arc and really commit to it was was huge. And Darren is somebody who worked with me on some of my favorite issues of uh, Batman and, and All-Star and all of it. So he's a friend and uh, and somebody that I'm really grateful, again, to be part of it. I mean, a lot of this whole thing is like we wanted to go in there and be the, really have this be our return to creator-owned in a way that spoke to everything that we cared about, like not just have a story that's personal. And again, this story is really built out of my own fear of the dark, my kids fear of the dark. It's like something that's been in my head a long time, but to go about each part of it in a way that made us excited to um, do the project. So finding Tony, both as a friend and a perfect collaborator, bringing in people that you've worked with, but that you feel like have more to show than they've shown and giving them more room to do that trying to find the financial security with the project to be able to make sure that there's no anxiety around it. So you're free to just be creative. All of it is about, um, what we're trying to do this year, both me through best jacket, you know, working on this with Tony, all of it. It's, it's like trying to be a better member of, of creator own comics and do it better than, than we've done it in the past. Yeah, almost about a year ago or maybe a year and a half ago, uh, Scott, you were on this podcast and we were talking about how you wanted to do a lot more creator owned stuff. And, and I was thinking when I was coming up with these questions, uh, was was uh, Best Jacket Press already in the cards or was it in development at the time? Yeah, well, it's been my, the company that I've used for myself, like just in terms of um, payments and that stuff for DC and all of that. Oh, okay. Jacket is a portmanteau of my sons, Jack and Emmett, uh, with two Ts. And then we have Quinn now, so I have to figure out some way of getting in there. <laughs> um, jacket with yeah. a Q-U just felt too weird and two T. It's just getting right. too fancy and strange. Um, but the idea for me is like to be able to create something where this book is the keystone. Uh, this book is sort of, um, you know, the driving engine of, of what we're going to do right now, but also, um, any, like I said, like any money that I'm going to make from the campaign will be able to go towards this, so that I can fund artists the way that, um, you know, we're trying to do with this book where we have a lockbox, and no matter what happens, we know the art team is taken care of. So I, I want to do something with that where I can work with, you know, artists I've always wanted to work with, like Tony, who are going to just like blow it out of the water and also new people coming in that are, you know, emergent and, and that are fun to kind of challenge different aspects of my, my own creativity in ways that I, I haven't, I haven't, uh, I haven't really sort of, you know, explored before. And best, best jacket press, that's not just under image comics, right? It could be under other labels or other publishers. No, no, that, that's the whole fun of it for me is that there's, it's, it's non committal. So I can publish books with image like we're doing here with Tony, or if, you know, maybe something through somebody else or something digitally, all of it is like up in the air, but it gives me a home to be able to explore. So right now I'm really focused on Nocturnal, really focused on making sure that this series is something that people will follow for years and years and years. But it kind of signals, I wanted people to understand my seriousness about returning to creator owned and that whatever you give to this campaign isn't just going to become some kind of like I'm going to put gold trim on my car, like, you know, whatever, and whatever it is that it's, that all of it is going towards this same kind of ideology about making sure that we can do creator owned in a healthy and protected way going forward. Nice. So I think we're out of time. Thanks so much for being on the APT Comics podcast, guys. You can go pick up Nocturnal Collector's Edition on Kickstarter right now throughout the month. Uh, thanks so much. Yeah, it was a pleasure. It's it's really good to actually, yeah, it's good to actually see your face, man. We've talked many times, but to, actually, to get this scrape like this, where I'm like, oh, yeah. that's, that David is like, that's nice. So we got to do it more often. <laughs>